And I know some of you guys maybe have grown up in church and some haven't, so I'm speaking to a, you know, a variety of people, those that are watching online, those that are going to be seeing this later. But one of the things that's really ministered to me is I never want to lose the sincerity that I've seen. And let, let me give you what I'm talking about in, in kind of an example form. But I want to um, mention that, you know, I grew up in church and so my wife hasn't. And there's such a difference. And I know, for example, I've known people that did not grow up in church at all. And there's nothing really religious about them. You guys hear what I'm saying? And it's kind of refreshing. And it's, I remember sometimes I make comments and I try to explain to her. But thank God she hasn't had to experience it. But she hasn't really been around a lot of religion, a lot of religious control. And I'm going to be talking about that in my sermon. But there's something free about that. And there's something... That I know for I know I know a lady. This is the example I wanted to use earlier. That had come out of a really dark past, and she so loved the Lord and so loved His Word that she would sleep at night with her Bible. And it wasn't a weird thing; it was just her love, you know. And she never wanted to lose anything she had with God. And that always inspired me because so many people grow up in church. And they take for granted. And when you've come out of darkness, and you've come out of a, a really, really rough background, you've come to Jesus, there's such a love and such an appreciation. And it's like they'll do anything. They'll, they'll, they'll go 100% for Jesus. They'll die for him, all that. You know, they're just, they're just a complete, sold out. But people that's grown up in church many times, they take everything for granted. You know, it's like a family that's grown up with a lot of money. And they've never had to work for much. You know, like a kid that grew up with a lot of money never had to work a day of their life. And it's just like they totally, completely take for granted what they have. But you take somebody that grew up in poverty, and then they get wealth later on, and they appreciate every penny. And so let that be something that ministers to you that, you know, as, as you're in church and all that, it's not taking things for granted, but really getting... Because I think sometimes, not just here, but just in general across the board... There's some people that once they're in something, they take for granted God's presence. They take for granted sermons. You know, it's, they, they get to where everything is just, you know, just going through the motions. And they're not really getting out of it. You know, some people, they don't really, it's almost like, you know, the example I gave last week, I believe, where the cow that chews the cud, but they, they chew on that. Then they swallow, then they chew it again. It's meditating on the word. It's, it's an example of meditation on the Word of God, but it's like really getting all the nutrients out of it you can. And I think sometimes people aren't getting everything out of what they could get out of a church service because things are kind of going over their head or they're missing things. And I remember during, during the Brownsville Revival, I remember that Brother Kilpatrick, somebody would say, please, just no, no moving around, no talk, because they had so many people that, that had no church background, so they had to kind of spell it all out. And he said, you know, even if you have to use the restroom, hold it. Don't, because they knew that people were distracting others. And they weren't getting out of it what they could get out of it, you know? And so let that really get in you. Is, is the presence of God, the Word of God, and the things of God gotten to where you're not really as passionate about God and the things of God as maybe you used to be? Or you see some people that have a different background and you see a different passion in their life. Let it be an inspiration to you that takes you deeper in Christ, you know? All right. But I wanted to share that because that has something to do with this freedom sermon. 
And let me just say this. Satan hates freedom. That, that is one thing that the devil hates. A lot of the, the warfare, a lot of things that come against God's people is to try to stop freedom. And if you think about it, a lot of Christianity versus, you know, not being saved, a lot of that has to do with the aspect of being free or not. And what Jesus paid for really, in many ways, is a freedom. It's a freedom from sin, freedom from sickness, freedom from the works of the enemy. And what Satan is after a lot of times is putting people back into bondage. It, it's, to, it's to pull them out of freedom and back into bondage. And let me just say up front that anything that controls your life in any way is not God. If it's an addiction, it's an obsession, it's something that you can't walk away from, it's a person that controls you, it's a place, it's a substance, something has a hold on you and it's controlling that is not God. That's a bondage of the devil, whatever it is. Satan operates through ungodly control. Ungodly control is very oppressive and holds people in bondage. But it doesn't have to do with rebellion or submission to authority. That's a different thing. I'm talking about control that's oppressive. You know, you, you see sometimes, I do, I like investigation shows, so I watch a lot of those. But you see people that... They're in, they're in some kind of situation where they're con it's all about control. Being controlled. Or the person trying to control and exert their dominance on another person. And it boils down to control. You see what I'm saying? Somebody, many times, the, the jealousies, it comes down to out of jealousy they start controlling. Out of fear they start controlling. The intimidation factor. But Jesus wants us all to be free from any ungodly control. Now, let me say this because I want to make sure that people aren't getting confused about submission versus control. But, you know, when you look at the Bay of the Holy Spirit revival is a perfect example because it's right there in your face. OK, you guys are familiar with with Lydia. You're familiar with Nathan. So this is a good example. OK, John Kilpatrick is, is in his 60s. He's old enough to be both of them's dad, you know, for sure. And, you know. He's there at all the services, but if you think about it, he's facilitating. He's the headship, he's the authority, but he's facilitating. And Lydia is leading the worship. Nathan is, is preaching many times the word of God. The altar workers are praying for people. But you never see an attitude coming from the younger generation of, well, why is he here? Why does he have to be here? Because he's not controlling, he's just the authority. There's a difference. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And not only that, if they had that type of rebellious attitude about them, where, see, somebody that doesn't like authority figures being around is because they're cookie, I mean, their hands in the cookie jar. Somebody that doesn't like authority figures around have something to hide. It should be comforting when authority figures are around. 
But somebody that, that doesn't want them around, there's a reason they don't want them around, and it's a rebellious spirit in them. But see, if, if somebody like Nathan or Lydia then, they, if they had a rebellious spirit around them and, about them and they didn't want Brother Kilpatrick around, they had an attitude, God wouldn't use them. That God would move them on and he would bring in somebody else to do what they're called to do. And it wouldn't take long and it wouldn't be hard for God to do. God doesn't need a person so much. You know what I'm saying? If somebody gets rebellious, gets prideful, gets a bad attitude, he can replace us in a heartbeat. So I'm not talking about operating under authority. That's not what I'm talking about when I'm dealing with control. Because some people think that authority and submission to authority, they accuse that as being controlling. That's not controlling. That's authority. But somebody that's grown up and they're rebellious and they've always been rebellious and they have a rebellious spirit about them, they, they don't understand that and authority to them is control. And they think their, their so-called freedom is just rebellion. They just want to be free to be rebellious. And not have anybody tell them what to do. So that's not what I'm talking about. So let's get that up front. But what I'm talking about is ungodly control that is manipulating, it's intimidating, and it puts people in bondage. Now I'm going to talk about a few things that's going to be interesting tonight that maybe you haven't heard. I'm going to move through this first part really quick, though. Because I believe that what, as we're moving into 2012, and not only this year, but in the years to come, I want everybody to hear this statement. If you don't get anything else out tonight, I want you to get this. I believe with all my heart that what the enemy seeks the most in this ministry is to control and to try to stop the freedom. And what I mean by that is this. And it may come from people that mean well. But there's they, some people that are under the influence of something that's not of God... Or they in their own flesh, in their own carnal mind, do not like the freedom in praise and worship. They want it to be more structured and less emotional. They don't like the freedom in an unstructured service where the Holy Spirit's in charge. They don't like that. They don't like the freedom of the gifts of the Holy Spirit to be in operation. Their attitude would be, well, why don't you take that back in the back room somewhere? That might offend somebody. But I want everybody to hear this. That will never happen, number one. But number two, my job is never, ever to pull what God's doing down to somebody's level that doesn't like it. It is to pull them up to where they need to be. And if they don't want to be up here then there's plenty of other places, you know. But no, none of what God's doing is going to be brought down under control to make everybody comfortable. And forget it. And people, they, they want to control when it comes to um, different aspects of what is preached, the way it's presented. It's like everything needs to begin to be uniformed and conformed to Right now, it, it's a, the whole thing right now in the body of Christ, and I pray that God begin to shift this, but the whole thing is about trying to, to appease people. And, and it, they call it a lot of things. They'll, they use words like being relevant or, or, or being seeker sensitive, whatever you want to say. But it has to do with toning everything down of God into a place 
to where every person is comfortable. But what's happening is, is instead of the church changing the world and changing people, the world and people are changing the church. And instead of, of helping people to become pleasing to Jesus, they're trying to make Jesus appealing to people. That's not freedom. And people have this weird view about their so-called freedom and what to them their freedom is, is a freedom to sin. It's a freedom to be worldly and to be carnal, to be able to drink what they want, say what they want, act the way they want, dress the way they want. And if you say, well, you know, the Bible says, and then they're like, well, you're just religious. That's not where we're going. Because there's freedom found in submission to God and His Word. There's freedom in living a holy lifestyle. What they're calling freedom is actually just rebellion. That's not true freedom. But I'm talking about true spiritual freedom which will only be found in obeying God's Word and loving Jesus so much that you will give up whatever he wants you to give up. You're going to go after him with all your heart. You're going to live for him 110%. That's true freedom. When you lose your life, you will truly find life in him. That's real freedom. All right. So number one, personal freedom. John eight thirty six says, So if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Galatians 5, 1 is, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burned again with the yoke of slavery. So you can go back into bondage. But I just gave a very few things. But you know, people get in bondage to unforgiveness. They get in bondage to lust. They get in bondage to ungodly anger and idols. And, and, and all these different things. They get rebellious. But the Lord will set people free, but you've got to maintain your freedom. The way you get free and maintain your freedom is through repentance. That means what you used to do, you don't do anymore. You know, the church needs to be speaking this. Because instead of just trying to tell people, hey, you're saved, you're saved, you're saved. That's not our job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. We need to be telling people, you need to make sure that you're saved. And you need to give everything up to Jesus. Surrender everything. The Christian life is a surrender. And then you're crucified with Christ and he lives his life through you. Grace is never something that has to do with some kind of license to sin. That has nothing to do with grace. That's a, that's a perversion. And the Bible would actually call that in biblical terms a doctrine of demons. That is not of God. What grace is, grace is the, the supernatural ability, God's favor on you, the Holy Spirit living in you to empower you and help you overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil and live a victorious life. That's grace. Grace empowers you to become what God wants you to become. In other words, God says, I love you so much that I've, I'll pardon your sin and I'll give you the grace to become what you've called, been called to be in me. That's grace. All right, number two, family freedom. Not going to dwell on this, but you guys know Galatians 3.13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. The two areas that I break down the most 
and the, it, you know, when I'm dealing with people that are not really walking in the, in the fullness of what God has for them, I kind of break it down to two simple factors. It's usually either lack or health issues. Those are usually the two. But Christ has set us free from lack. You can not only have your needs met, but God, God will bless you where you can be a blessing to other people. He will. Okay, that, that's the lack part. But also the health issues. Jesus paid for our healing. Amen? And so when you look at this, I'm not going to dwell on it because I've preached so many sermons. But on family freedom, anything that's generational, like family curses, whatever, Christ paid for your freedom. You were not in bondage to these things. These are what Derek Prince broke down as the, a sign of a generational curse, physical or mental breakdown, chronic sickness, barrenness, tendency to miscarry, divorce and family alienation, financial stress and poverty, accident prone, or a history of suicide in the family. Those, those are just kind of a list of things. But look, we are free. From, we can be free from those things, but you've got to lay hold of it by faith. Jesus paid for your freedom, but you've got to lay hold of that freedom by faith and take it by faith, okay? But another thing is freedom in worship. Expression and joy. Amen? Expression and joy. Here's the seven Hebrew words for praise. Now, this is in the Bible. This is God's standard of praise and worship. This is where churches should be in praise and worship, all of us. And I believe that we need to come up to a new place in praise. All right, here it is. The word yada means to extend your hands or throw out your hands to worship with extended hands. Okay? The word shabak means to address with a loud tone. That has to do with shouting. Zamar has to do with touching like an instrument, playing instruments. Barak has to do with kneeling to bless God. Tauda has to do with giving thanks with extended hands. Halal, this is where we get the word hallelujah. Halal, now look at this. It means to shine, boast, rave, celebrate, be joyful, give light, to be given in marriage, or to be clamorously foolish. Alright. So anyway, I mean, that would really offend a religious person. You see what I'm saying? So I'm trying to show you that religion is bondage, and I'm about to get that. I'm working my way down to religion, Okay. But the most Hebrew word for praise is hallelujah, and it's a word that implies dancing and twirling and freedom. And it's used in Jewish celebrations such as weddings. Isn't that awesome? And it comes from these root words that means to shout, leap, celebrate, to spin about, to clap as in crushing. And clapping intimidated the enemy. And then there's talia, however you say it, and that's to sing or laud. So... The enemy hates these things. Satan hates this. I'm going to give you some things real fast about the devil. So Gabriel the archangel. Archangels are a higher rank. Gabriel the archangel oversees the word of God. Okay. He, he was there at Christ's birth. He has to do with announcing the word of God. Michael is, is the warring angel. He oversees the angels that have to do with spiritual warfare. And Michael himself as an individual has a lot to do with the nation of Israel. But, with that said, the body of Christ are also spiritually engrafted into the vine of Israel. Okay, so let's just put it in perspective. But when, when Lucifer, before he fell, the book of Ezekiel talks about he had pipes and tabrets within him, like an organ. And God had created Lucifer, I believe, and most scholars agree with me, to be the archangel or the anointed cherub that would oversee worship. 
And so at some point in time, he got fed up with being the worship leader and directing all the worship to God. And he started looking at himself and saying, hey, I'm beautiful. Look at me. Why don't people give me some worship? And he started getting lifted up with pride and it led to rebellion. But there's something, I said all of that to say this, there's something about the gifting and calling is without repentance. There's something that was invested in him before he fell that even to this day, Satan seems to have a real stronghold in the area of music. Have you guys noticed that? And that goes back to his original gifting before he fell. And let me say this too. If there's one thing that he hates in churches, it's freedom and praise and worship. He hates it. All right. Freedom from the opinions of man. Galatians 1.10. The Apostle Paul said, Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were trying to please men, how would I be a servant of Christ? That scripture really flies in the face of a lot of this man-pleasing stuff. It really does. It, it flies in the face of it. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul, if you look at his life, he sold out to the Lord. He really was a great apostle. He did, he did great things for the kingdom. Okay? He was a man like us, had a sinful nature, but he did great things for the Lord. I said that because I don't want people to think too highly of, of another human being, you know, he wasn't Jesus. But the Apostle Paul did not live to make people happy. When he went into a city, most places he went, he made a lot of enemies. He didn't go in there thinking, hey, you know, I'm going to go hang out in the local pub, you know, with these people and, and I'm just going to sip on a latte while they have their beard. I'm going to try to make everybody like me. I'm going to try to be friends with everybody and act like everybody and, and be worldly and, and fit in and all this stuff that you hear people basically teach. It wasn't nothing like that. He came in and he preached the gospel. And the people that converted came unto him and he would disciple them and the other people hated him and many times tried to kill him. Which sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? But we've got to get free from the opinions of man. Listen, they're people are going to say what they're going to say. You're never going to be able to make everybody happy anyway. There's always going to be somebody that doesn't like you. You know what I'm saying? There's always going to be somebody. There's always going to be somebody that has some kind of an attitude problem somewhere out there. And they've got something to say. Quit living for them. Their opinion does not matter. When you die, you're going to stand before Jesus and they're nowhere to be seen. It's, their opinion matters nothing. And if you start living for them, that is a major bondage and a control that the devil can put on somebody where they feel like that they're trying to make certain people happy. As you know, when Jesus started his ministry... His mom and his brothers came and they thought, his brothers thought, this is in the book of Mark, that he had lost his mind. And maybe he bumped his head, you know, and he just got confused for a little bit, thought he was the Messiah or something. And they were just like, what's going on with this guy? And they went to try to stop him. 
And they came and he was preaching and, and some people came to Jesus and said, hey, your mother and brothers are out there. And listen, Jesus said, my mother and my brothers are those that follow me. And you know what Jesus did right there is he broke that control. He said, they may, it may be my mother and I love and honor her and it may be my family, but they're not going to control me or this ministry. And he broke it right there. You cannot live for the opinions of man only to please the Lord. If you live to please him, then the power that people's opinions would normally have over somebody won't matter. You think about even, even heathen politicians. They live and they're constantly being bombarded with stuff. They're constantly being scrutinized and slandered. And they just march right through it. And us as Christians, sometimes you'll see a revival break out and a, a church starts getting a little bit of a reputation. Something's written up in a newspaper that's negative. There's somebody that starts criticizing it. And, and sometimes you see the pastor or people in the church just want, let's just calm it down. We're offending people and they just want to shrink back from the move of God because of somebody's opinion. When even heathen politicians will walk right through that and ignore it. We need to let God get a backbone, a spiritual backbone in us to where people's opinions of us does not affect us. Remember this, people are going to say it anyway. There's always going to be somebody out there. Every revival has had opposition in history. Every move of God has always had somebody that criticized and hated it. And every minister that I've ever known can tell you stories. There's always somebody that had a problem with them. So if somebody, if you're one of these people that somebody out there just doesn't like you and you don't know why, join the club. I mean, you're not alone. And you're sitting there looking at yourself going, well, what's wrong? It's not you. That's just the way it is. Reality. So ignore them and don't care what they think about anything and just live for him. But a death to self, a, de a death to reputation, total love and surrender to the Lord and understanding satanic opposition to revival. There is an opposition to revival. The enemy uses people and we must understand that and not take it personal. What you got to understand is, is that people, you know, when you go out witnessing... And you'll bump into somebody that all of a sudden just is really belligerent. You guys know what I'm talking about. Alright, you run into somebody that's belligerent, rude, and all, you can't take it personal. If you were out there joking around with them and you were acting like them and acting like the world, they wouldn't have a problem with you. They do, what they don't like is they don't like the Jesus in you. It's, it's the gospel. It's the Son of God that they have a problem with you. And you cannot take it personal. Because it didn't matter who came to them. Whoever brought Jesus to them, they would be responding that way. Don't ever let the rejection of man dictate anything. As a matter of fact, the rejection of man can actually posture you for the things of God sometimes. As you know, William Seymour, went, he went from the Chicago area under Charles Parham in his Bible school and moved to L.A. He probably had no idea about you know, God moving there. There's no record that he had an inclination. But he, he went to pastor a church and he opened the Bible and God had been burning in him the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
talking in tongues, okay? It had been burning in him. He opens the Bible, starts preaching on Acts chapter 2. The church freaked out, ran him out, told him never come back. Then he ended up through that, through that rejection, he ended up at Bonnie Bray Street with about 12 African-American people in a house. He opened his Bible, preached the same thing. The power of God fell and the great Azusa Street revival was born. But it was that rejection that caused him to be postured for revival. Sometimes the rejection of man will actually knock you right into the will of God. This is what I wanted to get to, and I'm going to start winding this thing down because I want, I want to really focus in on freedom and, and being free from religion. That's really what I, where I wanted to get. But to be free from religion and to really walk in freedom, you're going to have to deal with this other stuff too that I've already mentioned. But freedom from religion. Genesis 2.17, God spoke to Adam and said, You must not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. I want you to read this with me. Look at this. But you must not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good. Stop there. The knowledge of good. Everybody say the knowledge of good. good. Just because something is good does not mean it's God. And this is going to blow some of your minds. What you got to understand that the knowledge of good and evil was both good and evil. Okay. There are many people out there right now that think because something is good that it's God. I've even heard ministers say, and it's something clearly, it's a cult or something, and I, I'm thinking of an example in my mind right now. It was clearly a cult. But the, the minister that they asked, he said, well, it was good, so it must have been God. And I'm going, no, that was not God. Just because something is good does not mean it's God. And this is where a lot of deception is right now that's out there. See, people think because some witchcraft is used to heal or to meet somebody's need, they think what's well, a good thing. It's not a good thing. It'll send you straight to hell. It's not a good thing. It's just good in their mind. And they'll go to some psychic or whatever that supposedly can talk to their dead Uncle Charlie. And they'll sit there and they'll bawl their eyes out while Uncle Charlie is talking to the psychic about something. And they go, I felt so much better when I left there and so relieved. And, and it was such a good thing. It wasn't good. You were deceived. That was not Uncle Charlie. Uncle Charlie's either in heaven or hell. That was a familiar that was talking to that witch or whatever. And that is not good. That's not a good thing. And people think, well, you know, two people love each other. So it's a good thing. So, you know, they, they can have sex. And, and God understands. No, he doesn't understand. He doesn't. The Bible says that if you have sex outside of marriage, you'll go to hell when you die. That's what it says. You've got to repent of that. Get the sin out of your life. It's called fornication, 1 Corinthians 6, 9. But that is not, that people say, well, they love each other, so it's a good, it's not a good thing. And they'll say about the homosexual community, well, you know, two people love each other. So it's, it's a good thing. It's, there's nothing good about it. 
You know, you can love, you can love somebody, that, but that doesn't mean that you cross the threshold into sex. You understand what I'm saying? Two people can love each other and care about one another, but when it crosses the threshold into sexual relations, it's getting weird. And it's not of God. It's bondage. And people say, well, I'm free to do what I want to do. That's not freedom. It's bringing bondage. Now, we love those people. God loves those people. Jesus died for those people just as much as me and you. And it's God's will that none perish. He loves them, and he's reaching out to them. But if they're not willing to turn away from whatever it is and follow Jesus to the end, they're not going to heaven, and neither will we if we're not the same way. We have to be willing to turn away from the, from the world, the flesh, the devil, and follow Jesus with all of our hearts. That's where true freedom is. People say, well, it's, a, it's good, you know. And this, Let me tell you, religion, that's the same thing with religion. Religion... People say, well, the, the Buddhist, you know, they're all about the peace and the tw- tranquility and, and the meditating and just, you know, loving one another. And they think, well, it's a good thing. But see, the Bible says the worship of other gods is idolatry and it's an evil thing. It's not a good thing. This is the deception See, what's happening is, is the very same deceptions that were sown when Eve ate that fruit, these same deceptions are, seems like they're gaining momentum in the end times, but these same deceptions, the pride of life, wanting to be your own God and make your own rules. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. You know, they try to discredit the Bible. I, may, I think it's this way. I think God's this way. I think everything's this way. And they've created their own reality, but it's not reality. They're wanting to be their own God and make their own rules and get to heaven on their terms. It doesn't work that way. And if they don't humble themselves and listen, they're going to find out the hard way. And then you've got the lust of the flesh. People continually giving in to what their flesh wants. And you've got the lust of the eyes. There has never been a time in world history where the lust of the eyes is, is not, it's, it's more rampant in these end times than ever because of technology. I mean, just the blatant, the perversion, it's, it's just, it's in your face. It's the lust of the eyes. And you know why it's there? Because it's marketable, because that's what most people want. There's more people saying, give me more than there is crying out against it. And so the, these are the things that came, that, that were birthed in the Garden of Eden. But the same deception of this knowledge of good. You know what the knowledge of evil is? Where people, they have a hunger and they're drawn toward the knowledge of dark and evil things. You know, some people, because they have a a witchcraft or whatever in their ancestry, they find themselves strangely drawn toward that dark side. Curious. But it's like a spider's web. They're drawn, but when they get in it, it, there's a bondage. But the knowledge of good, is this is where I want to focus on, though. There's a lot that, that can be seen there. But the knowledge of good can also be religion. Because people think, well, you know, as long as you live a good life. How many times have you witnessed and somebody's like, I'm a good person. God wouldn't send me to hell. This all goes back to the Garden of Eden. It really does. It's that knowledge of good. They feel like that they're good. But the truth is, 
that there's none righteous but God. And even our own righteousness, the Bible says, is as filthy rags. God's not necessarily looking for perfection or anything. What he found that in Jesus, what he's looking for is people that are willing to turn away from the old and put their faith in Jesus. That he, that's what he's looking for. People that will put their faith in Jesus. But religion is that knowledge of good. It's a counterfeit. And I'm going to show you some things about religion. Religion is connected to a spirit of murder. And I'm going to show you that in multiple ways. But, the, but a religious spirit, a religion in people's lives. See, Christianity is not really a religion. I want you to remember this. When you're talking to people, I understand that they're going to call it a religion and all that. I understand that. But you need to understand, Christianity is not really a religion. True Christianity is a relationship with God that has been able to be reconnected. It was lost in the garden. It's able to be reconnected with God through Jesus Christ. Because there's no other way that God will accept somebody except through the blood of Jesus. That's it. When you come through his blood to the Father, you're washed. And you're accepted. Any other way, spinning the little prayer wheel, chanting your little mantras, doing your little rosary, let's just say it like it is. Whatever religious thing that you do, that you think is climbing up to God, getting to God, is just a Tower of Babel. It's not going to work. It, it is, it is an, it's a way that it seems right to man, but the end thereof is death. That's what the Bible says. It's the knowledge of good. It's something that appears good, therefore it's deceptive, because they think, well, it's good, therefore it must be God. This religion teaches good things. Therefore, it must be God. You see what I'm saying? It's a deception. But, but religion seeks to replace relationship with rules. In true Christianity, true Christianity, I realize there's a counterfeit, and I realize there's a lot of people out there that say they're Christians that aren't. I understand that. True Christianity, God's remnant, understands that yes we do live holy but we do it because we love him that's the difference there's a relationship we don't want to cheat on him and be adulterous with the world okay religion stifles expression and emotion religion hates expression and emotion toward towards god when you look at the the religions of the world and you look at religion, the overwhelming majority of the time, it's a dead ritual that they're just going through the motions. The Catholic Church is a perfect example of this. Religion, ca religion causes people to be whitewashed tombs that look really good on the outside, but on the inside they're full of dead men's bones. Religion is actually what turns people off to Jesus. So here's the thing about religion. Religion will actually drive people away from Jesus. It, it actually pushes people away. Because nobody... People are longing for something. But they're being fed a bunch of garbage. 
if somebody's hungry enough, they'll eat garbage, you know. And people are being fed a bunch of garbage, and they think that it's good, but they've never had the real. And then they'll go to church, and they're looking for God, but they find religion. And then they go to a, a temple or a mosque somewhere or something else, and they're looking for God, and they find religion. And they think it's all the same, so they just pick the one they like. But if they ever have a real encounter with the Lord and His power and His presence, they'll never be the same. It won't be a religion, it's a relationship. And if the body of Christ as a whole, if all of us, if we'll preach the Word and flow in the power of God and really give people the truth and give people a relationship, you know, an option of a relationship, that's going to be what really changes people. Let me show you some ways that Satan tries to sneak in control. <coughs> This is what I really want to get to. Control. The enemy wants to control. Where there's no longer unstructured services, where there's freedom, now everything becomes very rigid and very ordered. And they'll twist the Word of God to fit their agenda. But for some reason, religious people seek. Religious people seek to control. It just goes along with the religious spirit. All right, let me show you something. I don't know if you've ever read this in the Bible, but Acts 16, verse 16. Just listen to this. So Paul and his companions, it says, Once when we were going to a place of prayer, we were met by a female slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. So this is like a spirit of a psychic fortune teller. It's a cult, okay? She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting. Now listen to this. She was shouting, the witch. The witch was following them shouting. These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, the demon, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. Now, it caused a big ruckus in the city, which you can read about. But anyway, so what's up with this whole story? Why in the world would a demon inside a young lady, she's a witch, why in the world was this person going behind God's servants shouting, these men know the way to God. They're leading you to the way of salvation. Why in the world... I'll tell you why I'm going to explain it. See, what Satan wanted to do there was Satan wanted Paul and the companions of Paul to think that that woman was a prophet of God. And see, if Paul and his companions had thought, hey man, this lady, you know, she's got a reputation in this city anyway as being somebody that's spiritual and she's, she's telling people the truth. This is where discernment comes in. If she's telling people the truth over here, she's saying that, that we're servants of God, we're telling them how to be saved. And, and if Paul and them be like, she, she must be a prophet of God or something, you know, and had her come into their little group and join that group, look at what would have come in with it. Something demonic. And if they would have started looking to her as a prophetess or whatever, she would have been like, well, you know, God says you need to do this. God says you need to do that. All of it would have been false. Are you seeing how the enemy tries? This right here is, is control through manipulation and deception. 
Satan wanted to come in and, and manipulate Paul and them through deception. Not everybody that is prophesying, and not everybody that's speaking in tongues, not everybody that's flowing in something that looks to be like the gift of God, the gift of the Holy Spirit or whatever, not all of it is real. And even some people that, are, that genuinely have a gift of prophecy, sometimes they will prophesy out of their own head, and it's not really the Word of God. And so you've got to have discernment to not allow that type of control to come in. And a minister has to discern that. I remember I read a story about Dr. Cho. He pastors a really huge church in Korea. And a woman was, people were lining up. And she was up in the altar prophesying them. And she was giving accurate words. But, but Dr. Cho said he was there and he heard her. And just something in his spirit didn't set right. And so instead of confronting her or anything, he went home and he prayed about it. And the Lord told him it's a familiar spirit. It's not the Holy Spirit. She's operating it through a familiar spirit, which would be like this. And so he went to her in private and he told her, the Lord told me you're operating in a familiar and that you need to repent of that. Well, instead of her humbling herself to the pastor and saying, thank God for you know telling you that, help me get free. Instead of her being Christ-like about it, she got a bad attitude, started getting rebellious, and she left the church. You know? But Dr. Cho, if he would have allowed that to keep going on in his church, it would have released something in that church that's not of God. Do you see what I'm saying? Now, another danger, you got to give credit where credit is due. Some of the attacks of the devil are pretty crafty. You know what I'm saying? Some of them are pretty crafty. And sometimes the devil can be pretty deceptive because whenever you look at something like this, Satan has counterfeited everything for two reasons. One, a lot of people accept the counterfeit. But here's the other reason. Because those people that reject the counterfeit will also many times reject the real. And they'll throw the baby out with the bathwater. Because they don't have any discernment. This is why it's important to really have a relationship with the Holy Spirit and have discernment. Because a lot of people are like, they're afraid. They're like, well, I don't want to counterfeit, so I don't want any of it. And what's happening is, is the Holy Spirit isn't moving, the gifts aren't at work, and revival's not happening because they're so afraid of a demonic counterfeit that they're missing the real. It's a very subtle, deceptive attack of the devil. And you've got you to gotta have discernment, and you've got to be careful with it, because sometimes it'll look real. During the Azusa Street Revival, William Seymour said that, that while the Holy Spirit was being poured out and all this stuff was happening, that Satan did so in a few people that seemed to have like New Age, occult, psychic abilities, and he had to discern them from the real. See, the Bible talks about the tares among the wheat. This is important revelation, if you can remember this. I got this years ago about tares and wheat, and it stuck with me for like 10 years or more. But see, tear, tares and wheat, they look exactly alike. The only difference is a tear is just a weed. And the reason why it's a weed is because it doesn't produce any fruit. I mean, it doesn't produce any grain. And so you have to wait till harvest time. 
it all grows up together, harvest time comes, and the wheat has this grain start coming up on the top of it, and so it gets heavy, and it gets heavy so it starts bowing over like this. But the tares are still standing straight up because there's no grain. And so once the harvest comes, the wheat bows over, and you can see the grain, you can see the fruit, if you will, and you can tell the wheat from the tares. But you have to wait until things start coming up. See, Satan sometimes will sow people into a church and it's just a matter of time, though, that something starts coming up and you can see that they're not really the wheat that need to be here. You know what I mean? Another quick thing. Satan tries to control through seduction. Y'all listen to me. This is for men and women. In this story... It's a woman doing the seducing, but men can seduce women too. So you, everybody needs to hear this. It says, Now Herod arrested John the Baptist and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, Now you know this wasn't man-pleasing. Man John the Baptist had been preaching to the king. He said, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And he was rebuking him publicly. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias, this is how perverted all this was, the daughter of his wife was dancing seductively before him. And he promised on an oath to give her whatever she asked. So prompted by her mother, <coughs> she said, give me on a platter the head of John the Baptist. Now, not trying to be mean, but what type of a sicko asked for a platter and somebody's head on it? Anyway, let's move on. And so the king was distressed because of his oaths and his dinner guests, so he ordered that her request be granted because he said, I made this public. I said, I'll give you whatever you wanted. And so he felt like he couldn't go back on his word. And so... He ordered the request be granted, and John was beheaded in prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to, carried it to her mother. And as John, John's disciples came and took his body and buried it, and they went out and told Jesus. But I want you to notice how Herodias, the wife of Herod, wanted to get John the Baptist killed one way or another. And so she plotted to have her daughter seduce him and then use seduction to control See, Satan will use seduction to control. And you need to be careful about seduction. I'm talking about sexual seduction, but I'm also talking about some other things. So sexual seduction, most of you guys know what I'm talking about, but it'll, it'll come in the form of eye, the, what, what's going in your eye gate and what people are saying to you. But I want to go beyond just sexual, and I want to just talk about seduction in general. Right now, my personal experiences through the ministry... When people are real flattering, that is a major red flag for me. When people are real gift-giving, that's a major red flag. Because I remember, I, I can tell stories. My wife knows. I remember years ago, there was somebody that this real gift-giving and real flattering and on and on and on. And, and Sandy and I were like, you know, I felt extremely uncomfortable. And I told her, I said, I, there's something wrong. Is it? Something's off, you know, and you want to be nice to people. I mean, people come to you and they're gift giving and they're complimentary and all that. I mean, you're going to be nice. I mean, I'm not going to be rude, 
But in my spirit, I was like, you know, it's just that red light going off. You know, I was like, something's wrong. Something's wrong. This is not right. You know, and, and sure enough, they ended up really being not right at all and causing some problems. But see, I've learned that people that operate through flattery and operate through gift giving, there's an agenda. There's an agenda. It is a seduction. It's a form of seduction. It's seducing spirits. You hear what I'm saying? So be careful with that. If somebody's ever real flattering towards you, real complimentary, real gift giving and all that, and it seems like they're just, oh, you're just the greatest thing, that's weird. And you know, the thing is, I'm, I don't... I don't feel like that I'm better than anybody, but I don't feel like I'm worse than anybody. I'm just a normal guy, okay? But when people come in and they're real critical, here's the thing. If somebody's really critical and they got a critical spirit, they will talk about you trying to make you a lot worse than what you really are. But somebody that's got this seductive flattery thing going, they'll talk about you a lot better than you really are. You're just somewhere in the middle. Don't let anybody try to make you think you're from this critical spirit tear you down don't let people do that that's evil but also don't let people flatter you and get you into pride either because you you know what i'm saying all right so john 11:38 this is the last point about religion religion carries with it a, a spirit of murder religion seeks to murder what does not agree with the religion and now you can look at the Catholic Church through the Dark Ages. The Catholic Church was a cult. It still is a cult. It's not true Christianity. But during the time of the Dark Ages when it had supreme power, it was using its supreme power to murder any person that was in disagreement with it. And right now, look at Islam. It's a religious spirit. Cain murdered Abel over religion. It was a religious spirit. They were both going to God, but Cain was trying to go a wrong way to God. He was trying to approach God the wrong way. Abel humbled himself and approached God the right way. It's, it's the same thing you're seeing today with these people. They, they want to approach God on their terms, their rules, their religion, and expect to be accepted. And so what happened? Whenever Abel was accepted and Cain was rejected... Cain killed him. There's a, there's a spirit of murder. Let me show you in Jesus' ministry. So Jesus was deeply moved, came to the tomb of Lazarus. The stone laid across the entrance. And he, he wanted them to remove the stone. And Martha said, he's been dead a long time. He's been there for four days. It's going to stink. Jesus said, anything's possible to them that believe. They took away the stone. Jesus looked up and prayed. And then he commanded Lazarus to come forth. You know the story. Lazarus was raised from the dead. Okay. Therefore, look in verse 45. It says, Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had, had done. Then the chief priest and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone's going to believe in him. Then the Romans will come and take away our temple and our nation. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, spoke up. 
And he said, you know nothing at all. Don't you realize that it's better for one man to die than for the whole nation to perish? And John the Apostle said, in verse 51, he did not say this on his own. But as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. Verse 52, not only that, that nation, but the children scattered abroad. But listen to this. It says, so from that day forward, verse 53, from that day forward, they plotted to take his life. See, the Jews, the, the Pharisees in particular, they hated Jesus because they couldn't control him. If they could have controlled him, it made him their little puppet, their little spokesman. You know, look at the signs and wonders of our fellow Pharisee Jesus. You know, he is, he is our poster boy. You know, that's what they wanted. They wanted him to, to represent. And because he was doing his own thing, they hated and despised him. And they wanted to kill him. So here it is. They tried to control Jesus through intimidation, through death threats. But when Jesus did not respond to the death threats, he was not going to be intimidated. He kept going forward doing what he's called to do. Then they said, we're just going to have to kill him. And they went after him to kill him. See, a spirit of murder is all in religion. And what it is, is religion is the mentality, anything different than what I understand, different than what I agree with, different than me, must be killed. That's religion. <clears throat> true, true Christianity brings life. Religion kills. Religion seeks to control, like in the Dark Ages with the Catholic Church, religion seeks politics, religion seeks power of position, now let me close with freedom in our churches. <clears throat> Excuse me. Second Corinthians three seventeen says, "Now the Spirit, now I'm sorry. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom." Now some people have studied the Greek and said that this is how this can be read. Now where the Spirit is Lord, there's freedom. Where the Holy Spirit is Lord, there's freedom. See, you're going to have it one of two ways. I, I really feel like this is somewhat of a prophetic, because I believe in the years to come, as the ministry keeps growing and getting new people, there's, there may even be well-meaning people, but we're not going to take the standard of God, the standard that He's given us, the call He's given us, to host his presence, host revival, and do what we're doing, and bring it way down to make people happy. Either they're going to come up from where they are into the move of God and get comfortable with the freedom, but we're not going down into bondage for them. But you're either going to have in a church, you're either going to have the Holy Spirit is in control, and he's dictating what's going on, or man is in control. See, what the Holy Spirit, I mean, what, what a religious spirit wants to do is take a free, unstructured service. It's like a river. There's a flow. There's an ebb and flow. You're moving with the Holy Spirit, and, and God's touching people mightily. And a religious spirit will seek to say, look, you know, let's get a little order. And, and they'll use the Word of God. They'll say, you know, the Bible says to do everything decent in order. 
that has nothing to do with this. That's a totally different. But anyway, they're saying they try to take the word of God to, and, and twist it to get control. And what they want to do is say we start at six. They want to say, well, from six to six fifteen, we'll do announcements. Then from six fifteen to six thirty five, we'll do this. Then from six thirty five to seven, we'll have three songs, and they will be this. Boom, boom, boom. And then, and then the preacher will preach for so many minutes, and then we'll have a benediction, and it's all, it's all on a piece of paper. How many knows that Jesus stands at the door and knocks, and that type of thing right there doesn't let him in? That's man's control. You never see great moves of God in that, ever. I remember one time somebody was saying, well, we did this for years and years and years, and somebody asked him, well, did God ever show up? And he said, no. <laughs> and they said, well, don't you think maybe you ought to do something different? <laughs> but also, the control, I'm telling you, the control of the religious spirit, I'm telling you about this area. Some of you guys really need to hear me, because this may come up. Some people that are religious will have a problem with unstructured services. They want it structured. They will also have a problem with the gifts of the Spirit. See, the New Testament is not written to put people in bondage. It's written to set people free. The Old Testament, you know, it was the letter that killed. I mean, you either did, did right or you're dead. I mean, it was... But the New Testament is, is, a, is a grace thing. It, it's, you know... And what they got to understand is, is that these things are in the Bible, but they're not there to control. They're there for guidance. And so when it's talking about, they'll take and they'll twist scriptures and say, well, you know, you shouldn't speak in tongues in church and all this stuff. And they try to take scriptures, but those scriptures are not talking about that. They're talking about how to flow in from a perspective of freedom. How to flow with the Holy Spirit in freedom. Not putting people in bondage. But I'm telling you, the religious people will have a problem with tongues and the gifts. They want to control it, and they want it to be a real rigid, controlled thing. And that is not at all what the Lord ever intended. They will also have issues with demonstrations of the Holy Spirit's power. Let me just tell you, there are people out there, it may be hard for some of you to believe, but the fact that somebody's going to get hit by the power and fall on the ground, they're crying, they're laughing, or they're speaking in tongues or whatever, they will have a problem with that. Why, why all the emotion, and this is the voice of a religious, but why all the emotion? Why they got to cry like that? Why they got to laugh like that? Why are they shaking? Why are they falling down? See, these are demonstrations of the Holy Spirit's power. The Bible says cause people to have faith in God. You know, it's the life of the church. But they're trying, they want to kill that and bring it all under... You know, the goal of the religious spirit, it'll come in different angles, but the ultimate goal is to control and then to murder the move of God. To kill the move of God and bring it to a place of death. So, hear that. Based on the whole sermon I've preached up to this point, think about what I just said. The religious spirit, through people, seeks to control... And then in control, kill the move of God, bring the church down to a place of death and sterility. That's the goal. So you see religion and you see a spirit of murder. Romans talks about the spirit of life. 
But see, the religious spirit is opposed to that. And here's the last thing. The wisdom of God seems foolish to man and will offend the prideful. God has structured things to where the prideful will get offended and the prideful will be resisted by God. But the humble will be embraced by God and the humble will be accepted. But God moves in a way. You hear me. Why does the Holy Spirit move the way He does? The Holy Spirit is God. He is God Almighty. He can do what He wants to do. I don't understand sometimes why He's such a gentleman. Why didn't He just knock some controlling people on the floor and let them have an encounter? Let them have an encounter and knock them on the floor and just take over. But He, does, he rarely does things like that. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He's God Almighty, but He's also God. He's brilliant. He knows what He's doing. So why does He move in a way that offends so many people? Why does He move in a way that ticks off prideful people and it offends religious people? Can I say to you that He's doing it on purpose? That He knows what He's doing? And He knows that the way He's doing it is sifting it's sifting the arrogant from the humble. It's sifting the religious. It's sifting the tares from the wheat. He knows exactly what he's doing. And I don't know about you, but I'm going with the Holy Spirit the rest of my life. I don't care. There's not going to be any control, and I won't back down from it. I, I'm telling you, there's a standard that I've set in this ministry where I don't care who says what, and I mean this, I'm talking anybody, there's going to be freedom. There's going to be unstructured services, and the Holy Spirit is allowed to come move. If He makes somebody fall down, He makes somebody shake, He knocks somebody from here, 10 feet back there, he, you know, somebody's crying, somebody's laughing, the gifts of the Spirit at work, that's what's going to be going on. I'm okay with it. And if somebody's not okay with it, there's a lot of other places where it's not happening. But as far as this house, we're going with God. And there's not, and listen, I, I'm making that declaration, and I know that that's reverberating out, you know, and I know, I know who's hearing it out there that's not of God, okay? But let me just tell you that I make that declaration, I'm driving that stake in the ground, and I'm not backing down from it. Amen. And if somebody, if some visitors start coming, and they're like, well, why don't you tone everything down and be like, we're just not going to do that. We love you, and we hope that you, you know, I'm not going to say that, but we hope you come up to, you know, but it's like, we, we hope that, you know... God can touch your life and, and, and all this. We love you, but, but it's not changing. I mean, this is it. You know, take it or leave it. You know, and another thing too, and I close with this, is that there's no watering down the gospel. There's no watering down the word. I mean, you know, people want to shrink back from preaching about things against sin. You know, they don't want to preach like I did tonight. They don't want to say, well, that's sin. That'll send you to hell. I mean, it looks good. It sounds good. And, and it seems good to the natural man. But the Bible says the end thereof is death. And they don't want to preach that. You know, and I, as far as this house and ministry, we're preaching the word. You know, until Jesus comes, that's the way it's going to be. So, anyway. I feel a freedom. But I'm telling you, be careful what is coming out of your mouth just start speaking life and blessings 
don't allow your mouth. You remember the Bible says in the book of James that your that your tongue is like the rudder of a boat. Did you know your tongue, your life could be going right here. You're in the center of God's will, but you're speaking out, speaking out, speaking out, speaking out, speaking out, and all of a sudden your life starts turning. That's what the book of James says can happen. Your life starts turning. And one day you wake up and, and all of a sudden it's different than what you thought it would be. The very thing you spoke is where you're at. But you wake up and it, you're out of the will of God and you realize this is different than I thought it would be. But it's like you're reaping what you sowed. Now you're there. You know, what whatsoever man sows, that will he also reap. So speak life and blessing and speak it with faith and speak it with authority. Command the blessing. Calling those things that are not as though they are. That you're commanding the blessing of God. Now I feel like the Lord's giving me a word. So The Holy Spirit says, I've heard this tonight and I've heard the declaration of the headship. And if you will move with the headship, and if you will allow unstructured services to continue, says the Lord, if you will allow the calling on your life to not be compromised, you will not compromise for religious people. You won't compromise for man. If you will allow the move to continue, the Lord says that I have people that are out there, and they're like stars that are shining. There's a brightness about them, and they're going to be drawn to the light of this place and I'm going to build this house, and it will continue and sustain a revival that will not die down. Mm. And Lord, we ask you for souls in this environment. We ask you for harvest. We ask you, Lord, there's so many lost people. There's so many people, Lord, that think they're saved. Matthew 7. They, they, they're going to say to you one day, Lord, if you don't get a hold of them, they're going to be the ones standing before you saying, Lord, Lord, we prophesied, we cast out demons, we heal the sick, we did all these things, and you're going to say, depart from me. And Lord, I pray that you would find them, and Holy Spirit, that you would convict them, and Lord, you would draw them. Lord, there's so many people that are religious, and they feel like that they're good, and they're on their way to heaven, but they're not. They really don't know you. They're just religious and Lord, we ask you to get a hold of them. We ask you to open doors, Lord, for the gospel. Open doors for the harvest. And Lord, give us the grace to not give in to the pressures of the religious people. Give us the grace to not give in to the pressure to conform and be like everybody else. Give us the grace, Lord, to be what you've called us to be. And not compromise. Not compromise the Word of God and not compromise what the Holy Spirit wants to do. We ask, Lord, corporately, and we believe that we have what we've asked right now. And we thank you, Lord, for setting it in motion. And we bless you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. If anybody feels like they need prayer about anything, there's a mighty anointing on me right now. I feel it. If you need prayer about anything, I'll pray with you. I'm just going to put on some worship. Otherwise, you know, we're, we're going to go.